At this point, we come to our Old Testament lesson, which is from Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. I don't know uh, what comes to your mind when you first uh, think of, of law. I don't know if you think of law as being positive or negative, but I have a guess. <laughs> that it's, it probably tends to be more negative for more people than it is positive. Um, and yet, Psalm 119 uh, is the longest psalm in the whole book of Psalms, and it is one where uh, the author is really looking at the Word of God and even the way that the Word of God is his law, his decrees, and his precepts, and all those sorts of things. But he's celebrating it because even though people (laughs) sometimes make good laws and sometimes don't, God's law is perfect. His word really is the right way. And so as, um, as the author is writing this very long psalm, uh, that's one of the themes you hear throughout. So as we read verses 33 through 40, just a small section of this, I just want you to be listening for the way in which the author is celebrating uh, the, the word of God, but particularly the law of God. Uh, his commands, his statutes, his precepts, <laughs> various ways he describes it. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us not to take it for granted. God, we pray that you would help us to not assume that we already know it. But Lord, we ask that you would open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to you, to your word. Lord, that we would know you better. That we would in everything, come to love and trust you more. Lord, that we would, by your word and by your spirit, be transformed and conformed more and more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is uh, 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 3 through 11. And it does kind of pick up in the middle of a paragraph. Uh, but one that starts with, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. So because Jesus did this for us, now here's how we go forward. And it says, starting in verse 3, 
For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, a little close there, uh, this morning, as we are continuing in our sermon series through John, you might recall that we are also uh, in the upper room. Uh, This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and I don't know about you, but if you can imagine what this moment might look like if you were in such a state, if you knew that the very next day you were going to die and you had gathered around those closest to you, what might you say? What would it be? What is it that you would want to leave with them that you would want them to know before you die? This is that conversation, Jesus with his disciples. And we started looking at this in chapter 13 of John, and we saw that uh, Jesus began this night by washing their feet. I, I do that <laughs> for each other. That he has said, I, I give you this new command, love one another as I have loved you. These are the things that he is uh, giving to them, but there's more. And we're going to continue looking at this, um, at this night with Jesus and his disciples together in uh, close proximity and in close proximity time-wise to his death. Jesus knows it's coming. He knows it's very, very soon. They don't know it yet, but they will. And so uh, we're looking at the ways that Jesus prepares them for, uh, for his death, but also for his resurrection and life on the other side of the grave. And today we're going to be looking uh, specifically at uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. And in this section, we're looking at how Jesus gives to his disciples life and love and peace and victory and how that's very different than what the world has. It's a life that's different than the life of the world. It's a love that's different than the, li- than the love of the world. It's a peace that's different than the world can give. And it is a victory that comes through Jesus for those who love him. Different than what the world can even overcome. Um, so, stay tuned. Here we go. This is 
John chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 31. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me, will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. As we look at this particular section, um, and as I just read through those words that Jesus says to his disciples, I talked about last week this idea of John as sort of the spiral staircase where he picks up these same themes and just goes around and around. But every time that you get to them, it's like you're going up to another level of uh, what this really is about, another level of understanding. uh, When in John chapter 1, he talks about the light, and then later on, you get all these references to light and light of the world, and in him was life, and you see all these references to life all the way through, and it just keeps becoming a richer and deeper and more meaningful theme, and the same is true in this particular passage. So as I read these words, hopefully, if you have been following along from the beginning of John, uh, that you will recognize that nearly every single thing that is said here is something that has been said before in one form or another, uh, some idea that's being picked up on again, and Jesus is taking all of it right here and kind of squishing it all together (laughs) and passing this on to his disciples. This is what I want you to know. I want you to know, for example, because I live, you also will live. Now, does that strike anybody as odd that Jesus says to them, because I live, you also will live? Does it strike anybody as odd that Jesus would say this the night before he dies? Do you think that might cause them some issues? (laughs) where he says, you know, because I live, you will live. And they're like, great, you're still alive, so we're still alive. We get it. 
because you're the leader, we're the followers, so we follow you, and as long as you're still okay, we're good. But the next day he goes to the cross, and he dies. And what do they do? They run away. And so it's almost like he says to them, because I live, you also will live. And then he dies, and they think, well, because he dies, we're also going to die. And they don't want to do that, and they run away. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing, is that we are not sitting right next to the disciples, reading along uh, and listening along with them to what Jesus is saying that night. We are listening on the other side, not of just the cross, but also of the resurrection of the empty tomb, of Jesus living again and so and forever. And so when we hear these words, we don't hear them as people who are following uh, Jesus to the cross and going, oh no. But instead, we see the victory on the other side of the cross. And so when he says, because I live, you also will live, we hear that not in the past tense, like it was something that happened a long time ago. He lived and now he doesn't anymore. And so... It means nothing for us. Instead, we see him as the one who was raised to life again and life eternal. And so when he says, because I live, it's because I live this resurrection life. You also will live a resurrection life. One that goes past the grave for us as well. This uh, might have been troubling for the disciples, but for us, this should be an amazing uh, amazing amount of good news to us. And so in this whole first section, this is what it's about, is this life. And so it's uh, how love for Jesus will mean life with him through the Holy Spirit, which comes uh, from the Father. Now, as we go through this, we're going to kind of be hitting a lot of points over and over because that's what this passage does. Do yourself a favor. Sit down with this passage and just read it over and over and over because there's so much that's just sort of woven together um, beautifully. And I'm only going to be able to touch on some of that here and try to uh, bring it out. Do yourself a favor. Sit with it (laughs) for quite a while. So, uh, but in the first section, that's what it's about, is having life uh, with Jesus through the Holy Spirit forever. Uh, now, he says this, of course, with this idea of, he opens the whole thing with, if you love me, keep my commands. Keep my commands. Well, now that sounds bizarre. And he comes back to that again, uh, where he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he says that again in response when Judas is like, no, wait, no, not that Judas, the other one. (laughs) He says, uh, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus is like, wait, did you not just hear me? I said that that it's to whoever has my commands and keeps them. That's the one who loves me. That's who I'm going to show myself to. Um, And that is not just for you here in this room, disciples. But it's whoever. And then he replies to this question and says, anyone who loves me. And then again, anyone who does not love me. And so we see the distinction between those who love Jesus and those who don't love him. And he says those who um, 
those who love him, he says that uh, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And this is what the entire Bible is about. What everything has been about from the very beginning is God being with his people. And so if you look at Genesis and how it all begins, and uh, starting even in chapter 2, you have, well, starting chapter 1, God creating everything in a way that it's set up for um, God to be with his people. And in chapter 2, you see that's exactly what's happening, is God with his people. And then it's sin that breaks that fellowship. And so then the rest of the Bible is a story of how do we get that kind of fellowship back again. And what we see in Revelation, when you go all the way to the end, is that's where it's heading. Is God with his people again? And what we see in the middle is it's Jesus. Jesus is how that problem gets solved, of how that fellowship happens again. And so he says, if you love me, this is what that's about, that we will come and we will make our home with you, that we will be together again forever in this resurrection life. Now, you might notice that I skipped over a little bit here. And this is, uh, we're not going to skip it. it. This is where he says, you know, those who love me, we're going to make our home with them, right? Um, but how do we know who it is that loves him? How do we know if we love him? And he says, well, you'll know that you love me if you, well, if you keep my commands, if you have my commands and keep them, if you obey my teaching, that's the way he says it. Three different ways uh, in this passage is those who love him are those who keep his commands, those who obey his teaching. And we say, now, hold on a second. I thought that the Old Testament was about obeying law and that the New Testament is all about grace. So what is this with Jesus now saying, you have to do these things in order for me to love you? Is that what he's saying? No. And I was, that's not what the Old Testament was saying either. <laughs> but instead, what we see in the Old Testament is God graciously giving people laws. This is what we were, saw the psalmist celebrating, is God, you have told us what is good and right in the way to live for our good because you love us. And so I celebrate that goodness, and I want to follow that. Now, I have a terrible time following it. <laughs> We're all so much better at doing things that are bad for us than we are at doing things that are good for us. And so he says, but I know that your law is good for me, and so I want to follow that, and I thank you for giving it to me. And so then you move forward, and that's what Jesus is saying, is, you know, I have told you what is good and right and true, and follow that. Not so that then I will love you, but because you're doing it out of your relationship that you have with me. If you love me, you're going to do the things that I have said to do. I mean, just think about that for a second. This way of talking about it totally makes sense, even in our uh, idea of relationships with each other. If you have uh, someone that you just cannot stand, and they ask you to do a favor, like, hey, Will you do this for me? And you're like, there might be some, some grumbling about it. Fine, I'll do it only when I have to. On the other hand, if you have somebody that you really love and care about, and they ask you to do something for them, I'd be glad to. And you can actually say, I'd be glad to, and mean it. 
I would be glad to. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, if you have this relationship with me, where you know that I love you, you know that I care about you, you know what I have uh, been willing to give for you, you know that, that love. If that's reciprocated, if you actually love me, then when I say, then here's how to live in this world, you're going to say, I'd be glad to. Now, again, we might get that messed up from time to time. We're pretty good at doing things that aren't good for us. But that's the idea, that we would say, I'd be glad to. And so he says, you know, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Totally makes sense. Now, the question we have to ask is, what is his teaching? (laughs) Isn't that the natural question you want to know? Let's see. If we're going to, if we do love him, that'll show as we obey his teaching. But what does that mean to obey his teaching? What What does he teach? Well, there are a variety of ways of looking at this. And I'm going to give you one way that I think makes a lot of sense. And, um, and I'll explain why. If you have a different way of taking this, I understand. Um, one way to go about it would be to look at everything that Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every time he tells people to do stuff, and we follow it uh, kind of legalistically. I'm not sure that's the way to go about it. Instead, I'm going to assume that John is not an idiot. And so <laughs> what I mean by that is that when John uh, is writing this gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this all together, that it's going to make sense together. And so uh, looking when Jesus says, obey my teaching, that you can look back in the gospel of John at the things that Jesus has said to do, and that maybe that'll help us uh, make sense of this particular passage. And so I did exactly that. I looked back through the entire gospel of John every time Jesus tells anybody to do anything. I wrote it all down. And most of the time, it is not helpful. Because <laughs> most of the time that Jesus is telling people to do things, it's things like uh, in chapter 2 where he tells the servants at the banquet to fill the jars with water. Do we need to obey that? Do you need to go show that how much you love Jesus by filling jars with water? I don't think so. I don't think that's what, <laughs> what it means to obey his teaching. Um, the same things, uh, chapter 4, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he says, go, call your husband and come back. Is that something we are to obey today? Is everybody supposed to go and call your husband and come back? That, that seems like an odd way of showing our love for Jesus. Or get up, <laughs> chapter 5, get up, pick up your mat and walk, he says to someone who is paralyzed. Again, these are very specific commands that he is giving to specific people at specific times that maybe aren't so general. There are some uh, that he gives that maybe uh, seem like they would apply more generally. Don't be afraid, he says to the disciples when he's walking on the water. Um, (laughs) To the crowd of the festival, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. That, That seems helpful uh, to all of us. Uh, says to the woman caught in adultery, go now and leave your life of sin. That sounds like something that might be uh, applicable to us all. But again, I think that what we see most of the time as you do this, if you want to do this on your own, have at it. Uh, most of the time what we see in Jesus' teaching is not specific commands of do this, don't do that. There's some of that. And a lot of times, those aren't general things. They are specific for an individual. So um, what we really see, though, 
is in chapter 13, he specifically says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's the only thing that he has pointed out in the entire gospel of John that is a command of his. Love one another as he has loved us. He says just shortly after that, if you love me, you'll keep that command. You'll actually do that. You will love people the way that I have loved you. But then, more often what we see throughout this entire gospel is his teaching that we are to obey (laughs) comes down to this. This is chapter 14, verse 11. It's just before what he says uh, here. Chapter 14, verse 11, he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This is what it comes down to. Believing in Jesus, believing that he is who he said he was, that he is in the Father, the Father is in him. And uh, he says, if you, don't even, if you don't believe that, at least look at what I do. The things that I do are the things that the Father has been doing from the beginning. Believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This is what it means to obey his teaching, is to believe in him, to trust that he is the way and the truth and the life, as we talked about last week. Now, that's the way that I see what it is to follow uh, and keep Jesus' commands. But I will tell you, in 1 John, John writes a letter where I think uh, it says things very similar to this. Uh, in chapter in chapter four, no, chapter three, he says, "And this is his command." Um, speaking of the commands of God, this is his command: to believe in the name of his Son Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Does that sound familiar? This is this is what God commands: to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This is what it's talking about. Uh, If you want to look further on this, in chapter 5, it says um, the same kind of thing. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what it just keeps coming back to again and again. This is why I think that when we look at what it means to follow the commands of Jesus, what it is to keep his teaching, uh, that it's not a list of rules that we have to get checked off so that then he will love us. What it's all about this is this life with him in everything always. Because that's what I've been teaching you to do. From the moment when I said, follow me, that's what it's been about. It's me showing you what life is really like and how we can actually trust God in everything. And what I'm inviting you to do is to do that. Life with me and trusting God in everything. Trusting that he cares, trusting that he knows, trusting that he loves. And living in that. And um, so this is the love (laughs) that he's calling us to. Love for God, love for others. Um, And it's because of this life with him. So, again, life, love. Next is the peace that's different than the rest of the world. 
This is all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We are running short on time, so we're going to combine this with the victory at the end where he talks about, um, I have told you now before it happens, so when it happens, you'll believe. Because I will not say much more to you. The, the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so the world may, be, may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Hopefully you see the connection there. The reason that we do what Jesus commands, the reason that we uh, live in that relationship of love with him is because that is the relationship that he has with the Father that we are uh, invited into. And we are invited into that relationship. We are invited into that life. And that comes to us uh, by Jesus, but also through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the idea, we're going to flip this around. We're going to talk about the victory first. Uh, the idea of victory is when he says, the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold over me. Think about that. This is that moment that everything has been leading up to where uh, Jesus has been living this life and he's been inviting others into this life. And from the beginning of this ministry, from even before, from his birth, uh, you have the evil one trying to stop it. And so we see, you know, babies being murdered when Jesus is born to try to kill him, but he's spared. We see uh, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes out in the desert and there's this temptation that scenes, and yet Jesus makes it through. We see uh, throughout his ministry, people who keep coming and trying to, to get him. It doesn't happen because of the, it's not yet his time. Well, now it is that time. And uh, he says, so that, the prince of the world of this world is coming. The time is now. It's happening. Jesus is about to die. But what is going to look like the victory for the evil one isn't because he has no hold over me. In other words, he's got nothing on me. I'm not going to be dying for my sin like everyone does because Jesus hasn't sinned. He's made it through the whole thing. And so this death, which looks like his defeat, is actually his victory. It's actually the defeat of the evil one because in giving his perfect life, he is able to die for the sins and for the sin of the world. And so this is the victory. And he says that this is going to happen so that the world may learn that he loves the Father and does exactly what he commands. And that is an invitation to the whole world. So we see these other things that the world does not have. You don't have, the world doesn't have this kind of life that goes on forever, life with the creator. The world doesn't have this kind of love that is self-giving and born out of a love with their creator and redeemer and sustainer. This, uh, and the world doesn't have this kind of peace either, but this is where the victory comes in, and this, and this is the invitation to the world, is to join in this life and this love and this peace and to have this victory uh, on peace. And we're going to end here because um, this may be what we need to hear um, more than the rest of it right now. And on this, first Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. 
This is such a, you think about parting gifts on game shows. This is not that. This is a gift that he gives as he's about to die. Uh, but it is like the prize of all prizes. This uh, relationship of being with us wherever we are. And he says, you know, this is what you will have. Um, and it will, the Holy Spirit will actually remind you of everything that I've said. So that you can actually live this kind of life. You'll remember about this stuff. And we talk about this as we look at how John has uh, writing this gospel. And like, how does he remember all this stuff? And also as um, the disciples on the other side of the resurrection look back, and several times John writes in his gospel, you know, Jesus said this stuff, and we didn't understand it at the time. Not until he was raised from the dead, and then we understood. And so that's where the Holy Spirit kind of brings it all back up and says, hey, remember this? <laughs> now do you understand? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, this reminder, reminder, reminder. Um, this is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to stay in the Word. We are forgetful people. <laughs> stay in the Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to remind us of all the things that we are so prone to forget. And he says, and out of this comes peace. Peace. He says, my peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And we say, that's easier said than done. But that's because he doesn't give the peace the world gives. The, world, the peace the world gives is situational peace. And so we say, if my bank account is full, and if there's no one currently attacking me, if there's no virus currently attacking me, <laughs> or the threat of an attack, either from a virus or an enemy, whether political or terrorist or whatever, we say, if everything is going well, I don't have any threats coming and everything seems good. I got my health. We're good. That is the peace that the world gives. And that is not the peace that Jesus is talking about. When Jesus is talking about peace, he's talking about something very different. This is uh, the kind of peace we look at in Psalm 46, 27, 37, and so many others. I'm going to take you to Psalm 46. Um, but this, here we go. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you hear it? Do you hear this kind of peace that's not situational peace? It's a, it's a peace that says, even when everything in the situations we're facing are terrible, we can still have peace and um, knowing that God is God and that he is with us. 
that he is with us, that he is for us. This is the kind of peace that Paul writes about when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and uh, prayer, how does it go? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This uh, is the peace that transcends all understanding. It's the peace that is not a situational peace, but in the same chapters where Paul talks about, I know what it's like to be in this situation and that situation, good situation and bad, to have a lot of money, to not have any money, to have a lot of food, to not have any food. And situations come and go and they change all the time. And he says, but I've learned the secret <laughs> of being content in anything and everything. And it's this, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. It's that peace. That's the peace that passes understanding. That's the peace the world doesn't understand. They say, how can you be okay in a situation that's not okay? It's because Jesus has given us his peace that says the situation may not be okay, but that doesn't mean that God's not still in charge, that he doesn't know what he's doing or that he has left us or has stopped caring. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And in fact, that's one of the, the best parts of this parting gift is as when Jesus leaves with us is basically this promise that he's not ever going to leave us. And so in everything we face, we can have life, <laughs> we can have love, we can have peace, and we can have a victory because of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day that you have made. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to hear your word louder than we hear all the other words of this world. Help us to see with your eyes better than we see with the eyes of the world. Help us to love with your love more and more. God, we ask that you would continue to draw us closer to you in our relationship with you, that we would continue to reflect who you are in everything we do, everything we say. In the thoughts that we think, in the ways that we carry out our business, our lives at home, with our families, with our friends, the ways that we interact with those we love and those who love us, the ways we interact with those who don't love us, but who you've still called us to love. Lord, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.